It's Monday morning, everyone. Welcome to Kafaru Cast. Uh, I got Frank the Tank across from me. He finally stopped uh, doing his real job to hop on the podcast again. Yo. <laughs> and uh, today is a super special day. Mostly, I have to say, uh, one, for who this guy is, what he's done for the country. Uh, number two, he is giving me Road March, uh, a book to listen to. I, <laughs> I... I, I, I've listened to all three of your books straight through. So it's Jack Carr, man. Thank you for coming on. Guys, thank you so much for having me. I'm fired up to be here. And you listen to them. Man, people really like the, uh, the audio books. I didn't really know that before yeah. I stepped into space, but those things are popular. So Frank and I listened to, when we're driving back and forth to Hunt's American Assassin. Nice. But after and, about 14 of those, they get a little Barney, right? They go a little crazy after a while. Like it's hard to remember what the hell even happened on the first one. And so... I was trying to find a good, realistic book, which American Assassins maybe not be right there, where yours, when you're talking about, I mean, you can tell you have a background in what you are talking about, because there was not at one time where I'm like, oh, that's bullshit. Yours were very realistic as far as from the tactical side of things and as well as human emotion in general. Is that something you've always wanted to do even way, way back in your military days? Did you always want to write? Yeah, way before the military days. Um, yeah, the two things I wanted to do growing up were one, serve my country in uniform. I was just drawn to that from a very early age. And I think that's because we had some family history there. My grandfather was killed in World War II. So I you know, grew up with old black and white photos of him with his plane and uh, his silk maps they used to give aviators back then, that sort of thing. Uh, so I just knew that was my path. And then back in the 80s, like a lot of the information I got about the military was from the pages of fictional thrillers. So about uh, age 10 or so, for sure by sixth grade, but for sure by age 11, I was reading things that my parents were. So I was reading I Hunt for Red October that came out right about that time. Uh, David Morrell series, starting with Brotherhood of the Rose, which uh, really combined the best uh, aspects of UK, like British spy fiction and US spy fiction. So like Ludlam and La Carre. Um And then I, I, just, I just knew that one day I would write thrillers in that genre. So those are the two things I wanted to do. And then I got down to the last kind of the wire on my time in uniform. It was uh, very evident that my family needed me. So uh, I was creeping up on that 20 year mark and uh, decided to get out and, and start writing because that was the, uh, that was the next dream. So I've always wanted to do it. Go, I'm going way back into the rogue warrior days um, oh, yeah. before he kind of, I just say went sideways. Obviously he went, you know, nonfiction fiction back and forth, but you know, those books I read when I was a kid and then when I was in the, in the army and then I'm not much of a reader is the problem. Um, but I am a grade a first class. I have a PhD in audiobooks. They're perfect. And so when, <laughs> when those came out, it was, it was, uh, a huge for me. Cause I, it's not that I don't want to learn. It's more of a time thing. I just don't have as much time, but I do a lot of, of backpack cardio and working out. And so, the audiobooks are huge for me. And did you expect these to do as well as they have? Because I looked at the reviews. They're unbelievable. Um, I mean, the books, they're just kicking ass. Did you, were you timid? Like, I hope this doesn't flop. Or, or were you pretty solid when you came out with them? Yeah. So, you know, you're always hoping, oh, geez, what happens if this doesn't work, I guess. But not much. You know, I didn't spend too much time worried about that. I kind of my expectation was that I would be just the, kind of the same as those guys I was reading in the 80s and 90s um, because that's because uh, that's just was in my mind from such an early age. So I wasn't really I didn't waste too much bandwidth on uh, you know how hard it is to get published or what if no one reads this. I just expected them 
to do well. I expected to make the New York Times list. I expected uh, to get optioned by an A-list Hollywood star. I expected all that stuff to happen, uh, and it did. Um, and you know, I, there's a few reasons for that, I think, but, uh, a lot, a lot of it is that foundation I had very early on. And then when I stepped into this thing, like I knew nothing about social media, I knew nothing about marketing, I knew nothing about any of that. And it became very evident right off the bat that as an author, if you wait for your publisher to do all that for you, you'll be waiting a long time. Uh, <laughs> cause they, have, they have thousands of authors that are out there that all, all want the same thing. Uh, so I looked at it as kind of, Hey, these, this Simon and Schuster has invested in me. They gave me this break. Uh, they don't owe me anything. It's time now. It's time for me to prove myself to them. So I kind of dove in and you know, looked at uh, what people, not even in, not even in publishing, were doing because that wasn't the best example. But uh, looking at other uh, businesses across industry and seeing how they were marketing, how they were branding, what's co-branding, what's advertising, what's a budget, what uh, how do you use social media effectively, all those sorts of things. And that uh, uh, that took a lot. That was a lot <laughs> more uh, energy intensive than I thought it was going to be, but it's all part of it. It's uh, this is like a startup, and you have to do all the same things that that you guys have to do you know, for your business. You have to do as a as an author. You'd have to do if you were starting a computer company in your you know in your garage in the '80s, or you're starting a coffee company today, or whatever it might be. You have to do all those uh, those same things, and it revolves around, of course, a good product. But uh, but you have to do those other things, or no one will know you exist. Yeah, you nailed it. There's uh there's no doubt about that. I, I mean, we we're wired in. I mean, you know, I would say Frank's probably a little worse than me. I don't I don't know that he as far as like a level of I, I'm not a big social media fan, even though, you know, I've got too many followers and I'm on there all the time. When I say that meaning it does distract from my true passions, meaning, you know, fitness, bow hunting, being in the outdoors, backpacking, but there's good things. One, you're promoting your product, right? For us, Kafaru. Um, we're teaching people constantly. People are learning from what we do. We do a lot of informational stuff, but I did sleep a lot better before social media because I'm wired in all the time, but it, it, it's good. Yeah, no, it's crazy. It's, you, guys, and you guys do a great, great job of it. And yeah, I mean, there's, there's, uh, I mean, I looked at it for a year before I, cause in the military, I never had a Facebook even. <laughs> I remember when guys had MySpace in like 2005 or whatever it was. And I was like, what is this? This is so weird. Uh, and then, uh, no social media presence whatsoever. Uh, because back then it couldn't, couldn't help you. Uh, now today when people are coming to the military, especially if they're going onto the, you know, the darker side of special operations or the intelligence side of the house. Now it's weird if you don't have a social media presence and that's the red flag. So things have kind of shifted and that's something I can explore in the pages of the novels. But, um, but for me, I looked at it like, Hey, this wasn't something that was available 20 years ago, 30 years ago for authors. And I look at it as kind of, you know, my storefront because I don't have a place that people can walk in. I mean, there's bookstores all across the country, but there's not a place where I can interact with them. Uh, so that's really what I use, how I use social media. And I use it as a way to, to thank everybody who really, took a chance on me because I was a brand new author. No one had heard of me before. And, uh, somebody took a risk and then told a friend and then maybe posted it. And then maybe 10 other people saw it. And maybe one of those people bought it and told another friend. So it was really a grassroots effort up until like a couple of weeks ago. Um, uh, as far as how these things have taken off and become such a success. But, um, the other part of that is the audiobooks are the fastest growing segment of publishing. And uh, I think that's for a lot of reasons. I think it's, uh, well, because you're spending time in your car, of course. Um, and people that love podcasts, I think, naturally gravitate towards the audiobook. And that was kind of my secret weapon was coming out and doing podcasts like this one, uh, podcasts about hunting, about tactical shooting, history, whatever it was. 
but uh, people that listen to podcasts, I think, also naturally gravitate towards those audiobooks, which is very cool. So, you know, social media, I mean, I don't want to speak out of turn here. Obviously, this is um, this is from the outside perspective looking in. I mean, I was in the Army. I, did, I didn't do anything comparable to what you did. But one thing you did that I really liked, and you, we have friends in the teams, and one of the things they respected about it, the, one, the, the guys I've talked to, is you didn't get out and write a book about your history and the teams. You didn't write a book about your anything that would um, – and again, I'm trying not. I'm not. I'm trying not yeah, to speak no, out of turn it. here. You wrote a book about a an adventure that didn't happen. You didn't use your <laughs> trident, so to speak, to promote yourself. You wrote a book. You did an amazing job. You didn't tarnish the trident from 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 what I've heard or seen. And again, I'm I'm not trying to speak out of turn here at all. You yeah, just no, wrote a, a badass book, and which is cool, right? You didn't overly you didn't self-promote you didn't talk about what a badass you are you you talked about what a badass reese is and just use your experience which is very unique nowadays and and you even brought it up in the book when you talked about the the seals that made the movie and and there was some underlying things you had brought up which you were able to not do you you kept them separate from what i have seen for the most part do you, do you, was that important to you when you were starting this journey? Yeah. So I never really wanted to write a, uh, a nonfiction type thing. I was just always from a very early age, just, I knew I was going to write fiction and I knew it was going to be in this genre and reading those guys like Tom Clancy and David Morrell and Nelson DeMille and AJ Quinnell and JC Pollock, Mark Olden, Stephen Hunter, all these guys that I, those guys are my early professors in the art of storytelling essentially. Um, and then when I got out, of course, those last couple of years, it was like, you know, the, with the tipping point was really the, the no easy day book. Um, but up until that point, we had all sorts of books, all sorts of movies, <laughs> some sponsored by the military, some not, you know, um, but uh, it was a hot topic, I guess. And it was interesting for me to watch the senior level leaders who, uh, you know, a bit hypocritical would uh, say, yeah, t- just just bash these guys that have written these nonfiction books and then they'd get out these senior level leaders and jump on the uh, the talk circuit and put up PowerPoint presentations that have them uh, in very clean looking uniforms behind the gates of a fob, um, giving the impression that they actually, you know, left those uh, left the wire when they did not. And if they did, it was like for one mission um, where they probably just got in the way. Um, so. For, for me, I was not ever drawn towards writing a nonfiction book. There's, I didn't, you know, I was very, in my career, I was very lucky to be involved in a few different things, but, um, you know, no one needs to hear anything about that. I'd much rather write fiction and then take the emotions and the feelings behind certain events that I was involved in and then apply those to a fictional narrative. So for the reader, it feels like the protagonist's emotions are raw and real and authentic, and that's because they come from the real place. And I didn't really think that was going to happen until I started until I sat down to write. I thought I was just going to write a this this uh, political thriller and people are going to grab it as they walk through the airport and get on the plane and go on vacation. And but then as soon as I started writing, it became a very emotional and a very therapeutic experience being able to go back and use all those things that happened and then use them in a positive way moving forward as I transitioned out of the military. So that background is, a, you know, is a foundation. It's a very important part of who I am. Hopefully it makes me a better better father, better husband, definitely better author, better citizen. Uh, but that's what it is. It's just a foundation from which to move forward. So I've always been focused on writing the, the, uh, the best thrillers I can as I, as I got out and I'm working on the fourth one right now. What's the, uh, what's the process look like when you're coming up with the idea of the, of the novel or do you, uh, what, what's the time frame and, 
Um, do you keep like a, a notebook handy or some sort of audio recorder to when you come up with an, an, an idea or something? What's the entire process look like and time frame and all that stuff? Yeah, so uh, I need to get a lot better at this because I have yellow sticky notes everywhere. I have notebooks everywhere. I have all sorts of different apps on my phone that record things. It's just, it's a, it's a mess. But for the first one, I wrote about six or seven different ideas down on the table. And I chose the one that I thought would resonate the most with readers. And that was the terminal list because it had that theme of revenge. And that theme of revenge always appealed to me. Like growing up, I loved movies about revenge. I love books that had that theme. And so I think there's something that just is, I don't know, it's just so visceral. And I think it's because we can't, if someone cuts you off in traffic or someone gets a, a, a promotion at work, like you can't do anything like about that, uh, even though you'd like to. Uh, but you can in the pages of a fictional thriller or in a movie theater as you're sitting down and watching. So I think there's something about that that is just uh, kind of cathartic as people watch a, a character do something that they can't do in real life. It just makes them feel better. So I knew that was the one to start with, even though I wanted to start with the third one, which is Savage Son. And I wanted to write that one since the sixth grade when I first read Most Dangerous Game by Richard Connell. Uh, you guys have probably read that. It takes about a, no, less than an hour to read for sure. But it was written in 1924, and it's really about that hunter-hunted dynamic. So even back then, I knew that one day I'd write a thriller that paid tribute to that classic short story. Um, but point being, I had these six or seven different ideas, chose the first one, uh, turned that one idea, which was like a one-page executive summary, turned that into an outline, and then turned that outline into the book. And that's how uh, the, these first four, and the fourth one I'm working on right now, uh, that's how they've gone. So I don't know if that... Hopefully the process evolves a little bit um, because I always want to get better and more effective and more efficient. Um, but that's how the, the first four have gone. Uh, I have switched over to a program called Scrivener, which allows you to like pull in research and to uh, drag and drop chapters rather than copy and paste in Word. So that's something that's changed since the uh, the first book. I did the third one in Scrivener. Um, but that's the yeah, that's kind of how it uh, how it goes. But I have a, all those six or seven different ideas from that first novel. Those are now turning in to these next ones. And uh, another thing that was important to me was to weave in this hunting theme. Whether in the, in the third one in Savage Sun, it's it's uh, it's right there in your face. But the other ones, it's it's uh, it's just woven into the fabric of the story. And I wanted to do that because I wanted someone who thinks they're picking a spy thriller up uh, off that shelf uh, that they also get an education in hunting and conservation, uh, kind of similarly. And so that was important for me to weave that in as well. You nailed that part of it. And, and, and Frank's just, he was just, he was downloading the books today. I was talking to him about it. And, you know, the one thing in the beginning of the first book in, in uh, terminal list, you know, you talk about without giving away everything, you know, the, the, his position where he's in Sitka gear. So he looks like an everyday hunter in Wyoming. He's never going to get picked out because he looks like every other Joe Schmo with a rifle in his hand on opening day, because we all wear, you know, Sitka gear is one of the more known or probably the most known uh, camo compared to, you know, walking around in a ghillie suit. Ghillie right. suits <laughs> stick out. And I'm like, hey, yeah, this guy knows what he's talking about. That's 100% true. And there's many, many other portions of the the book where you talk about like the Blood Brothers. You know, a lot of people meet and then and that bond is formed over time. You know, through, I mean, a lot of our friends that are in the military, we didn't necessarily meet through Kafaru or when I was in the military. We met them because of hunting and then it transformed or vice versa. And you did a very good job of, 
you know, there's certain things like uh, hill people gear. We used to work with them. And then like our Wooby uh, Sitka gear, you talk a lot, Winkler, uh, like all these things that people in the know immediately be like, oh, this guy knows his shit. Like, cause you are picking things out like, oh yeah, I got one of those. Oh, like I got one of those. And, and you do a very good job of that. And that hunting theme is also, you know, Reese's admiration or his, his thoughts on hunting and conservation. You can tell you're a conservationist through him by the way that you, you wrote the book and you did a, a damn good job at that. I, I was very impressed. Uh, you know, as I was listening to it, I'm like, I fucked up. I should have got a hold of this guy before because I didn't. I had been asked to get you on the podcast. I'm like, oh, I'm going to wait to listen to his book. Life gets in the way. I kind of forgot, <laughs> and I messaged you. I don't know, maybe a month ago, and then uh, I saw you made a post yesterday, and I had just finished Savage Son, and I'm like, okay, I'm going to have to harass him and get him on because these books are amazing. And and again, you know, for me, like yesterday, usually I do two to three mile ruck marches and uh each day and yesterday i had my wife drop me off as far away as she could to try to finish the book i'm oh, like okay so awesome. timeline i can do about three and a half miles an hour with this much weight i've got this much time six and a half miles should do it and so i suffered in the heat packing my ruck listening to your book and and i i, I literally finished with like eight minutes to go with the book it was like perfect timing Nice. I love it. Yeah. The, the gear stuff's always been, I mean, I was a gear guy before the military, just, uh, growing up, I always wanted to go farther, faster into the back country. I was always interested in gear. And then military, obviously in the SEAL teams, I could really deep dive into that sort of thing and started going to SHOT Show very early before it was the, uh, the tactical, you know, nylon thing that it is now. Tactical. Tactical. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I think 2003 was my first one. And uh, even back then, I mean, it's obviously it's still after, it's after 9-11, but it hadn't evolved yet to where it is now. And I think I mean, it was still way more hunting, fishing stuff back in uh, in 2003. But I think by 2005 or six, it had then exploded into the tactical that we see now. And you know, I still love going and, and talking to everybody and, and uh, you know saying hello and catching up um, because it's like a reunion out there. But, uh, but the gear stuff was important to me because when I see somebody – just the way they they carry their gear, what they're carrying, how they're carrying it, like that tells me a story, uh, and it always has. So using those things as character development tools, uh, along with what vehicles people drive, like I use the you know Defender, the the Land Rover versus Land Cruiser debate as a character development tool, uh, leather versus Kydex, nine mil versus forty five, um, but it tells me a story. So I weave that in there. And uh, I think that's also resonating with people. I mean, some people don't like it that aren't gear people. And you could just write like Navy SEAL knife. And that's what they're used to in other books. But, uh, you know, for me, uh, you know, I didn't just pull this stuff up on an internet on the <laughs> online, uh, just putting in a, a little query, like what does what knives do Navy SEALs use and, and putting that into a book? No, it's I have relationships with all these, uh, these most of the people that that create this gear and uh and it's a it's an important part of my life so uh yeah at the end you notice that the the woobie got in there i had to had to keep somebody <laughs> alive there at the end after, i don't want to ruin it either but in the you know the wilds of russia that thing makes an appearance so uh, <laughs> i was just using it last week with the family on a river trip we're heading down the salmon river in uh in idaho and uh brought that thing with me and uh much like you i keep one i keep it in my car now just in case but brought it on that river trip and uh yeah, you know, it was, we had some cold nights, so the thing was awesome. Oh yeah. I, uh, you know, when you were like with the Winkler thing, like I have a Winkler Tomahawk and, um, nice. we deal with half face blades a lot. You're probably familiar yeah. with him as well. And, uh, like hill people gear, they're a competitor of ours, but same, same basic format principle, right? Like when you mention 
the names of those different companies, you, you don't know those names. Those are, I don't want to say niche, but kind of niche. I mean, those are in the know, heavy hitter, like people that use Our Gear or Winkler or Hill People are, they're people that have been boots on the ground for the most part. So as I was reading through, you know, well, listening through the book, it definitely was like, okay, I'm relating more and more to not only, you know, you as a writer, but the character, his feelings. And again, Frank, without ruining the book before you're listening to it, like, how did you come up with Reese? Like just his demeanor. And and did you know someone like that or did you copy that? Or is that just a personality you, you just made him? Yeah. So he, um, I started writing this thing or I, when I got back from my last Iraq deployment, uh, I knew I wasn't going to take guys downrange anymore. I was at that I started enlisted, I uh, was a SEAL enlisted sniper, then became an officer. But uh, my last deployment, I was a task unit commander, so I was an 04. So that's a, a major for the other services, lieutenant commander for us. And that's really the last time that you can like, tactically maneuver guys on the battlefield. Like that's the last time you're out there kicking doors with the guys. Um, after that, yeah, you become an 05, and yeah, you're the you know you're seat commanding officer of a team. But you're really back in that tactical operations center. You're not going out there. Um, and if you, if you do go out there on a mission, you're just in the way essentially, cause you haven't done the workup with the guys. You don't know those SOPs. Like you are in a different category. You're at that operational level of war, not that tactical level anymore. So, uh, I got back from that last deployment and, uh, with three kids knew my family needed me. And, uh, I knew that I'd done pretty much everything I could, uh, ever wanted to do in the SEAL teams. And my time as a tactical level operator was over. Um, so I switched gears and went to a training command. Uh, that's where they sent me. And uh, while I was there, took a breath, looked around and realized it's time to start down this uh, this next path here and start figuring out the the transition. So um, Reese, well, I, knew I, I knew, knew I needed to have someone that was likable uh, because he was going to have to do some things to so even though it's to bad guys, uh, do some things that might not be forgivable if the, the reader isn't invested in that character and doesn't like him. So I knew he had to be likable. And he's a former enlisted SEAL sniper, becomes an officer. And when Peter meets him, he's at that same stage that I was when I started to create him, uh, was that he knew he was going to yeah, finish his deployment in Afghanistan and uh, come back and take care of the family. And that's when fictional disaster strikes. So uh, so he's he's uh, a like character who is uh, a better shot than I am, much better at jujitsu, much better boxer, uh, much better shot, much good. <laughs> So that's that's kind of that uh, the background on him. But uh, most important, I knew I had to have somebody likable. And so as I was writing, this is the crazy part. Uh, I was thinking like, man, if this was ever a movie or a series, who would be a good person to play this guy? And I thought of Chris Pratt, which is very strange because at the time he was on Parks and Rec and had just done um, Zero Dark Thirty. So he had a very small part in Zero Dark Thirty about the Bin Laden raid. And I was like, man, this is somebody... That uh, seems like a really nice guy. He seems funny. He seems, I've seen him on interviews, that sort of thing. And uh, he's a hunter. He was, yep, exactly. <laughs> so I knew he was a hunter. Uh, I caught that piece, and I was like, no, this is a guy who kind of like needs to stretch and do something different. He needs to do something gritty. He needs to do something uh, darker. Um, and he would be perfect. And then it's so crazy how the world works. In that, right before the first book came out, I got a call from an old SEAL buddy of mine who I hadn't talked to in years who uh, said, hey, uh, just called out of the blue and uh, wanted to thank me for helping him as he transitioned out of the military. And he told me no one else helped him. And I sat him, all I did was sit him down in my office and do what I would do for any good guy. Um, kind of talked about transition, introduced him to some people in the private sector, that in the industry he wanted to get into. And uh, he called to say thanks. And 
then he said, Hey, I heard you have a book coming out. And I said, yeah, I got a book coming out. And he said, uh, well, I'd like to give it to a friend of mine. Can I, uh, can you send me a copy? And I said, yeah, no problem. Who's it for? And he said, Chris Pratt. I'm like, Oh, that's interesting. And then a couple of weeks later, <laughs> Chris reads it and options it for, uh, for film. So that's kind of crazy. And then Amazon's supposed to, we'll start filming here in the late, uh, late 2020, early 2021. So kind of crazy. Uh, yeah, I, we were, okay. So we, we just saw that, uh, he was the, you know, kind of the, the, the head, whatever you call that, the main character. And we immediately started looking for it. And then my wife Googled it. She's like, shit, this isn't out yet. And I'm like, damn it. Uh, <laughs> cause that, it seems like that would be a very intense, the kind of series that if you get in late, you watch 14 of them in a row and stay up four hours past your bedtime. Cause you can't keep watching them. Cause the, the book is very, there's no dull spots in the book. There's no, you know, even when it's kind of a lull, it's not exactly a lull because he's prepping um, or something is going on that you're like, okay, yeah. this shit's about to heat up again. You know, I the way that I don't want to ruin this. And Chris is awesome. He's such a great guy. And it's uh, and the series. So I'm a executive producer and uh, advise on the script. So it was really just me and the screenwriter for the first pilot episode. And then they take that. So Anton Fuqua's director. And that's the other crazy part. I thought of Anton Fuqua directing as I was writing, which is crazy, too. And now he's directing. He did uh, uh, he got his Oscar for uh, Training Day. He did uh, Tears of the Sun, did Shooter, did Magnificent Seven, did um, Equalizer um, and just an awesome guy. Uh, so he's yeah, he's directing, which is insane uh, to have it come full circle like that. But working with the screenwriter uh, on that first pilot episode was just an amazing experience. And I lo- I could not be happier with how that turned out. So um, yeah, working on the other episodes right now. When you're writing the first one, like I said, it's, you know, balls to the walls, pretty much, you know, like I said, there's no downtime. And then the second one, there's some downtime, but you're like, okay, this, if you didn't know who Jack Carr was, but you just read the first book, you're like, all right, this shit is about to pop off. Like something's going on. And then when they're in Africa, well, I'm not going to say too much for the, anyway, the whole Africa portion of that, it it draws to anybody that served on a team that's been, whether you're a fireman or a, there's the, he needs help. There's the brotherhood. There's the, his small little team that he's working with. The fact he risked getting caught to help someone like all of that. And then he comes back and you're like, Jesus, it's like you're on the edge of your seat. Like, who's at the Uh camp? Son of a bitch. Like, (laughs) and then, and then the spiel he gives him at the camp, like literally, I bet I went from like three miles an hour to five miles an hour with 50 pounds on my back because I'm just hauling ass like, okay, what's going, what's going to happen? And again, like you don't let up, which I think is important. Even when there's a lull, there's prepping for something else going on. That's all very relatable, not to, you know, hump your leg any more than I already am, but do those, that is the best audio book I've listened to. And as Frank will attest, I listen to a lot of audio books and that those three so far have been by far at the top of top of the list. Um, I mean, that's all. Well, I'll say that, that, uh, it was intentional doing that because if, well, first I went to, I knew I was always going to write two. And after I got out of the military, I went to Mozambique a couple months later to do the research for that section because I hadn't been to Mozambique before. I went over there, did a Cape Buffalo hunt, did it with, uh, with a, a Kriegoff double, the uh, 50416 Nitro Express because I wanted to do it like somebody would have done it 100 years ago. Um, and it was awesome. Couldn't have written that experience better. But uh, I learned a ton being on the ground over there from the, the professional hunters and the trackers and 
Uh, just learned so much about the history of that country and the Chinese influence in mining operations, legal and illegal, and the meat poaching that goes along to support those operations and, and uh, politics. It was great. It was awesome. And got to weave that in. And the second one does, it starts differently than the others. Uh, and that was by design because I didn't want um, a, let's say, a reviewer or somebody to say, hey, this is just a one trick pony. Like he just picked up what worked in the first book and he dropped it in Africa or he dropped it in Europe or he dropped it in China or whatever. Um, so I wanted to make sure. And I also thought it would be disingenuous to the reader to just have all those traumatic events that happened in the first book to have the protagonist, James Reese, just all of a sudden start a new adventure. You had to have that that transitional journey, that transformative type journey. And I had to weave that in. And uh, then I, I used hunting and conservation as the as a, as a way to do that. So. Um, so, yeah, and I thought the editor might have taken that whole part out. But uh, Simon and Schuster, they didn't. They kept all that stuff in, which was uh, which was awesome. As you're going through all of these, you said you're working on the fourth now. What's your um, do you, do you, you got a number? Like, can we t- are you, I, I, do you have the story written out for seven years? Because at, at this point, I'm like well, shit, it's not slowing down. Like, it's only getting better. We're normally, like I said, with listening, like going through American Assassin, there was, I, you know, I love that series, but there is, there's definitely some of the books that are much better than the other ones, right? There's some that grab you and there's other ones you're like, get the fuck out of here. There's no way. <laughs> and and with yours, it's all very realistic and it's not slowing down. Do you, do you see you switching over at some point? Um, obviously as Reese character gets too old, whatever happens, are you, uh, is your brain constantly working on other books or, or in your mind? It is. And I have those seven ideas that I wrote down when I first took seven or eight different ideas. When I first started, those are in the bank. Um, and I have a few other ones that I've, uh, collected since then as ideas come to mind and I just collect those and put them in a folder as well. So I don't think I'm ever going to run out of ideas. Um, and the goal is obviously to get better. To, just like you would in the in the military, you just want to perfect, not perfect, but you want to get better with your craft. You want to continue to evolve. You want to pass those kind of let those lessons on to the new guys that are coming in. Um, so uh, that's the goal: is always to to do it better, always to move the genre forward just a tiny bit, even if it's just by degree. Uh, I feel that's kind of what I owe those guys that came before me, from uh, Richard Connell who wrote Most Dangerous Game, to uh, Jeffrey Household who wrote Rogue Mail, to David Morrell who wrote First Blood. Uh, Louis L'Amour, who did Last of the Breed, like all those books moved the genre forward. And uh, that's kind of how I see how I that's my goal. Anyway, when I sit down to write, I, how is this thing going to move the genre forward, even if it's just by degree? And for me, it's important to know that history. And I'm so glad that I grew up that way. It was just natural because my mom was a librarian. I grew up surrounded by books, loved reading. Uh, so I love that I have that foundation that was built as I grew up. So I'm not going back at age like 45 and reading something that was written in 1983 and trying to read it through that lens of the early 80s uh, and not have not be kind of swayed by the filters and cynicism or whatever else that's built built up in my life since then. Um, so I love that I had such a pure reading experience and enjoyed the magic of those books back then. And that's what I'm trying to give to, to readers today is that uh, is that same magic that I had as I read those things growing up. Do you um uh, like with your not to how old are you? I, I, I'm only I was going to guess, but I don't want you to smack me. Yeah, I think I'm 46. I think I would, yeah, 46. So we're, we're about the same age. You, you've got a couple <laughs> year on me, a couple years on me. How much has, has not just, obviously this is new for you with the book, just social media, the, the military in general, like how much did you, did you think that, like, did you get just overwhelmed? Like wh- why the hell am I doing PowerPoints when you were in the military, you know, the social media, the world in general, 
you know, being an author, that has to take a big part in your writing on how much the world is changing. You know, so you were born in what, 74, 75? Yeah. Did you think back then, like, we'd be where we are now? Are you taken back like mother of God? Like, this is insane what's going on, especially with the shit that's going on nowadays. Like, how much is that changing your writing and how much are you blown away by that? Or are you like, I kind of expected this to happen? Yeah, no, of course, none of that, none of social media stuff. I never really even considered that when I was in, I was solely focused on being the best leader I could possibly be. Um, so that pendulum was 100% on the side of the team. Uh, my family knew that because that's what you owe the guys under your command. That's what you owe their families. That's what you owe the, the mission, the country. Um, so every single second was focused on that uh, and on them. And now that pendulum starts to swing back a little bit uh, towards uh, towards the family, even though now as what is essentially a startup uh, does require a ton of time, uh, a ton of effort, a ton of st- a constant study and adaptation, especially when you're launching a book in the middle of COVID. Uh, this third one came out in mid-April, which was probably the height of the uncertainty, I'd say, around uh, around COVID. Um, people weren't sure about finances, mortgages, jobs, you know, their businesses, if they have their, their own health, um, all that kids schooling, like all that stuff. There was so much uncertainty that week. Um, but really, I mean, social media helped. Well, I couldn't have done it. I couldn't have made the New York times list without social media. Um, and without, uh, the new media like podcasts, uh, had this happened, had the, had I written a book in say 1992 and uh, a pandemic had hit then, like it would not have been possible, especially at the third book, uh, to make that, make that list, which is, uh, very important for, for an author at the stage that, uh, that I'm in right now. But, uh, yeah, military wise, I was lucky. I think that I got out before really all the social stuff hit. I mean, yeah, Facebook was it, Instagram was in its infancy when I got back from that last deployment. Uh, but now it's something that everyone has to deal with. Uh, and there's uh, so many questions about it. Like I mentioned earlier about now it's weird if you don't have a social media account, if you're, uh, if you had need a, some sort of a, a backstory, if you're going somewhere doing something on the, the darker side of the house. Uh, so it's just an odd thing to have to deal with and people grow up sharing everything. So now the generation of people going into the military are so used to sharing things. It's odd that they can't or that, Hey, uh, even if you're in a briefing that talks about security around social media that shows you how someone uh, can uh, fig- can map out essentially an entire team and their families, more importantly, the soft targets. Um, and even with that, it's just so ingrained that you share everything and that's natural. Uh, and the other thing, it, 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 I don't know, it's, I'm glad I don't have to deal with it. I guess that's the best way to, <laughs> to say it. Did you, uh, are you handling all your own social media, you know, personally at this point? Yeah. Yeah. So anything I do that has a graphic of any kind involved that would take any sort of, uh, skill, uh, video wise, other than just recording something on an iPhone. Um, I have a media guy that does that and puts those together for me. And I talk to him about, you know, marketing strategies and and all that sort of thing. He puts together the graphics for my uh, once a month reading list that comes out, all that sort of thing. So so I have a a marketing guy that uh, is good in the digital space that does my website and updates that and and that sort of thing. But I do it every day. Like it's me responding to people. um, And I feel like at this stage, I really want to say thank you to everybody that, uh, the, that, that did take a chance on me. But it's, yeah, it's me posting. It's me responding. It's me writing the copy. Um, it's me thinking through all those posts. Um, and I do most of my stuff on Instagram and Twitter. Uh, Facebook, I have a, a thing, but it just reposts from Instagram. So I don't really engage there because that's three is too many. It was just way too many. 
Um, it's just one is way too many, too much to handle sometimes. But uh, once again, it's, it's it's something that's out there that I look at like a, a general store in, in small town America. And if uh, someone's coming in to ask for directions, I'm going to be cordial and and uh, nice and point them in the right direction. Or if they want to buy, you know, something like a candy bar or a six pack, I'll point them to the right aisle and all that sort of thing. So that's how I look at social media. Uh, same way if someone comes into the store and starts acting like an idiot, then they get blocked. It's kind of like they get tossed out of my store if I had a small town general store. So that's kind of how I how I look at social media and try to try to look at it for it as as a positive way to, uh, to connect with people, um, and try to do that. I try to do it in a way that's appropriate. And I think it's hard. It'd be hard not to be your authentic self on social media. If you do more than like <laughs> 10 posts, <laughs> um, cause it's very obvious if it's not you. And, uh, at some point, if you, you're going to slip up, uh, if you're trying to be someone you're not, uh, on social media. So I think it's a, it's a very interesting time, uh, to connect with, with people that way in the digital space. And, uh, you know, authenticity is so important. It's a much overused word, of course, as we all know, but there's really not a better one for it. Uh, and that, that resonates. I mean, that resonates just being open and honest, uh, or not necessarily open, but being honest, uh, is, uh, that, that resonates with people. And, uh, I think that that comes through, I, I hope anyway, in on my social channels. Uh, do you plan on, um, you know, like with with uh, I, I is, is it is it coming on Prime then? The um, yep, Amazon. Yep. It, it, have you, has anybody bugged you about a movie at all? Uh, so when you sell the rights to something, they have the option for either series or movie, and they decided to do series, which I think is the is a much better way to go with a with a book like this, uh, just because you have more time to tell the story and you can tell it in a series of chapters essentially. So whether it's eight episodes, 10 episodes or whatever it might be, but it's just for the first book. And, uh, especially today, now they look like geniuses for doing that because they decided it well before COVID and movie theaters were already kind of, you know, on the down turn anyway. And then with COVID, I'm just not sure how quickly people are going to rush back into movie theaters with their kids. Uh, there'll just be a little bit of uncertainty for, for a little while and we'll see what happens. But, uh, in the meantime, sitting on your couch and watching something on Netflix or Amazon prime is, uh, is sure. It, it's nice to have that option and it's a very popular option. So I think it's the way to go as far as telling the story. Yeah. I think if it's anything like, uh, like I watched Jack Ryan on, on prime and that's like the Tom Clancy stuff. Right. And that I, I couldn't get enough of that. That was pretty cool. I thought so. Yeah. I mean, it can only be. Remember, like Amazon boxes were coming for months that said like Jack Ryan tape, packaging tape on it. So, uh, so yeah, I think it's a good way to go, especially if you're if it's adapted from a book, then uh, it makes it easier for people to make that connection and then either get the audio or or buy the hard copy. Gotcha. Um, well, what where can people? Um, before I forget, and I should have done this in the beginning, but where can people find? What's the easiest place to find you, find the book? Um, you know, I on mine, I, I have an audio book app um, that I use. But can you kind of lay people out on, uh, you know, the best place to, like I said, you as well as the book? Yeah, so it's Jack Carr USA on the social channels. So that's Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook, but uh, most active on Instagram. And then I have a website, officialjackcar.com. And that has, uh, like, there's a blog on there. I have a, a reading list that... Uh, I post six books from every month and talk about why they, how they impacted me, where I was when I read them, that sort of thing. Uh, talk about different weapons that I've used in the, the teams and used today, uh, that sort of thing. So people can do more of a, a deep dive into that on the blog. So that's a, that's a good place for people to, to find, uh, find me as well. And books are available everywhere in all formats. But the first one's been sold out for a while. It's been sold out for over a month 
uh, almost everywhere, which is crazy because you don't usually see that with fiction. Uh, and yeah, that I'm told it's coming back. <laughs> I'm told it's coming back in stock soon, but, uh, man, it's been over a month, which is, and it's a good problem to have. These are great problems to have, but, uh, yeah, still a little crazy. Frank, you're down with the audiobook. We have a demographic that's probably going to choose audiobooks far more than, I don't know when the last time I bought an actual book is. <laughs> um, I buy mine on Amazon and then they, they transfer over to my, uh, my audiobook app. But Frank, what, how do you, is that the same way you do? You yeah. Learn? Audible. Audible. Yeah. 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 Audible. And uh, yeah, Apple books also has an audio thing. Uh, I think those are the two places that most people get their, uh, get their audiobooks. but yeah, people love them. And I didn't realize that uh, narrators have a, like an audience that follows them around to different projects because I'm a, I'm a reader, not a, not really a listener. And so I didn't really know about audiobooks. Uh, I mean, I knew they existed, but I didn't listen to them. And then they asked me, Hey, who do you want to read your book? And I had, didn't really know. So I started listening to samples on Audible. I was just listening, listening, listening. And I found this guy, Ray Porter, and he just sounded great. And so I listened to that and then uh, asked, Hey, why don't we ask this guy? And they asked him and he said, yes. And he just ended up being like one of the top narrators uh, in the world. And he brought a whole audience to it that follow him from project to project. And his name's Ray Porter, such a great guy. And the first book was up for audiobook of the year through, uh, through Audible. And we got to go to New York and put on the tuxes. And uh, it's up there with like Stephen King and Ruth Ware. It was crazy. Uh, so, yeah, people do love that audiobook. Man, I can't. I'm like your number one fan right now just because audiobooks oh, are so huge for me. And, and the background that you have kind of tipped the scales to where – it could have been someone else, like you said, that uh, I grabbed my standard Navy SEAL knife where when you said Winkler, I was like, fuck yes, that is awesome. Um, right. Or some of the other things that you picked up just because it's relatable, right? I mean, it's it's very relatable with with what um, with what we do and what you've done. And and it seems like that's not slowing down either. One more question, I guess, or a couple more. When will the fourth book uh, be done. I, I think you mentioned it, but but what are, what are you thinking? Yeah, so April 2021 is when it should hit shelves. But uh, it's crazy. So for the first book, you have as much time as you want because you have uh, no agent, you have no, <laughs> uh, you have no publisher. So you just got to get that thing as good as you can possibly get it before you submit it to somebody. So you have as much time as you want with that one. And then I always knew I was going to write two books because of the John Grisham story. And he wrote A Time to Kill first, and he couldn't give that book away. And then he wrote The Firm and The Firm takes off international bestseller. Tom Cruise is in the movie. And then they went back and republished A Time to Kill and made that movie with Matthew McConaughey. But point being, if he'd stopped after that first book because it didn't take off, then we wouldn't have The Firm. We wouldn't have The Pelican Brief. We wouldn't have The Client. And we wouldn't have one John Grisham novel every year since the early 90s. So I was always going to write two. And if both didn't hit, then I was going to reevaluate my life choices. Uh, point <laughs> being... <laughs> Private sector as a sniper instructor or something. Maybe, exactly. Shift fire. Tactical yeah. shooting course. <laughs> uh, but uh, I always thought I had a ton of time with that one too because I started writing it before I even submitted the first book to Simon & Schuster. So the third book was really the first one that I was on that one a year timeline for. And now I'm on that one a year because that's the, the contract with Simon & Schuster. So you got to kind of get uh, get disciplined with how you uh, uh, <laughs> how you allocate your time, energy, resources because you have to get that thing. You have deadlines and it's not like the 
like old school six o'clock news deadline or something like that. So they're a tad bit flexible, but uh, but still they're, they're deadlines and they're people counting on you because there's other authors in the queue that they need to publish and do that sort of thing. So it's kind of like you're on a schedule just like a movie. They look at what's coming out and they don't want two movies that are similar from the same studio coming out at the same time. Um, so that's all. And there's a reason movies come, movies come out in the summer. Some come out around Christmas, around Thanksgiving. So that's all very well thought out. So this fourth one is, and April is a really good time for, for me to come out. So April 2021 is book four. Son of a bitch. That's a long time, man. I'm going to have to listen to other ones <laughs> twice. Um, it, it'll, <laughs> it'll be, it'll be worthwhile though. Honestly, um, probably when I hit that 20 to 25 degree pitch, when I'm doing cardio, those parts I might need to listen to again anyway, cause I'm breathing so freaking hard when I'm listening. You probably don't have my uh, full attention. So listening again, isn't going to hurt anything. I get it. That's what I need to do is get back. I, and when I got out, we moved from Coronado, California, when we finished up uh, time in the SEAL teams to get out here to Park City, Utah. I wanted to raise our kids in a ski town, that sort of thing. But when we got here, man, we got out of the car and my wife and I looked around and people are in some serious shape around this place. Um, and I think it's because they kind of like hit their number in New York or Connecticut or Silicon Valley and other they're out here kind of raising their kids and want to, uh, you know, want to live their best life out here, but they're in some dang good shape. So I was, did a really good job working out with these animals for the first, uh, first year, year and a half we were out here. And then, uh, with the publication of the second book, it was just like, okay, time to prioritize. So, uh, yeah, that kind of felt that, that fell to the bottom of the list. So I need to get back after it. You're inspiring me. You need to get a you to throw some sandbags in my Kafaru pack and get uh, get up the mountain. Oh, that's funny. Well, I ate a half a jar of peanut butter yesterday. I'm probably not inspiring you that much. I uh, <laughs> I don't run. That's I'm a, I'm gains. A, yeah, I'm trying to bulk up. I uh, just Frank and I we hunt for almost six months, but three months pretty solid. We do a lot of back to back to back backpack hunting, like pretty you know pretty yeah. far in and seven to ten, twelve, fourteen days. So we don't really have an option. I mean, I like to stay fit, but I also, Frank is what, 10 years younger than me. And I don't, I don't want to get my ass handed to me by Frank. So that's another part of it to where I, I have to stay at least remotely close to the same shape as Frank. So I don't look stupid hiking in and, and you know how that goes, man, you've been carrying rocks in your ruck your whole life, right? Like you go in with 55, 60 pounds, you know, six, seven, eight, ten 10 miles, you're going to wish you stayed in shape if, uh, if you hadn't. So we, we try to just never come out of shape for that reason. But, um, man, my last question, cause I'm writing, t- trying to write my own book. And certainly this is just about backpack hunting. Dude, I do not have the mentality to sit there. Do you have any like little tidbits of wisdom? To yeah, what is me? that? Writer's block? Is that a thing? Yeah, writer's block? I, I have writer's laziness. I know what I want to write. <laughs> it's sitting there and typing it. Like I have all these things and I've jotted down notes and, it's just hard to sit there, man. You've got some discipline, I tell you. Yeah, I love it. It's, uh, you know, I love my time in the SEAL teams. That was a calling. Uh, it was obviously my passion to serve my country and to do it at that level. Uh, same thing with writing. It's a calling. It's a passion. I love sitting down. And you know, as soon as we're off from here, I'll, I'll say hi to the kids because they're locked in the house today. It's actually snowing here in Park City in June. Believe that. And then I'm going down to the guest room because I can't go to the local library where I would usually go to write. And I'm locking myself in there and I'll write the rest of the day um, because I just I absolutely love it. Uh, and I'm passionate about it, but I think there's, there's this book you can read in probably an hour and it's, uh, it's by Stephen Pressfield who wrote Gates of Fire and Legend of Bagger Vance and the Afghan campaign. Um, but he also has a series of books on creativity. And, uh, the first one of those is called the war of art. Uh, he has, he has a bunch of them. One's called the authentic swing. One's called turning pro. One's called do the work. 
But uh, the, the war of art is a great one because he really says, hey, there's no excuses. There's no such thing as writer's block. Uh, if you make the decision to write, that's what you do. You're a professional. You sit down. You do it. You write. And uh, he says, hey, you don't hear of a, a trucker ever getting trucker's block or a dentist getting dentist block. Like, no, those you're a professional. You do the job. So that was very freeing for me. And that uh, I flipped that switch in my mind. And I was like, OK, I'm now a professional writer. This is what I do. I sit down and I write. And I love it. But uh, yeah, I think for you, it's just like making the decision, hey, I'm going to be a professional writer while I write this thing and uh, and get it done. Um, there's a great program called Scrivener, and I think it's under a website called Literature and Lattes, I think, or something. But anyway, uh, very helpful in that you can drag and drop your chapters. You can outline everything right there. So if you have in your head an outline or you have it on a piece of paper, you can put it in there and you can just be like, all right, today I'm doing the introduction. Bam. There you go. Maybe it takes two days. Uh, now I'm doing chapter one, but you have it kind of outlined out and however you want to organize it and you can pull in other research. So you're not, it just helps you be more efficient with your time and it's all in one place. It's not scattered all over your desktop. So, uh, or in the history of your browsing or wherever, wherever it might be. Uh, so it really helps you organize and, uh, then you can export it to word and when you need to send it to somebody. So it's a, it's a cool program. Gotcha. Well, at this case, I'm on uh, chapter eight and it's been two years. So at about 2050, my book will be out and I'll be too old and nobody will remember who I am anyway. But uh, yeah, I need to get disciplined. Get on it. I want to read it. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, well, well, man, I, I appreciate you coming on. I, I can't thank you enough for your service and, and, uh, Even more importantly now, I can't uh, thank you enough for the uh, something to listen to as I'm getting my ass handed to me hiking up the mountain. It uh, great books. I cannot encourage people enough to go get the books or the audio books. It's definitely one you won't you won't put down or you won't stop listening to. Oh man, thanks so much for having me on, and hopefully we can uh, meet up one of these days and sling some arrows and uh, maybe get in the backcountry or something. No, that sounds good, man. Thanks again. Thanks, Jack. Take care, guys.